Hello, I'm Tom Moan, and today I'm beginning an old and yet continuing adventure. In 1968, my family and I returned to Tulsa, where I became the general manager of KORUFM and Oral Roberts, radio announcer. At that time, from 1968 until March of 71, I had a daily program entitled Good Morning Brother Pilgrim. And now, after 50 years, I'm resurrecting it with a new title, Good Morning, Fellow Pilgrim. And a pilgrim is a person who's on a journey, and in this case, a journey of the kingdom of God on earth as Jesus prayed. So I hope you'll join me as we look into the past, the present, and the future. This is the Good Morning, Fellow Pilgrim podcast with Tom Moan for May 15th, 2020. Good morning, fellow pilgrims. What a delight it is to be with you again. And I just pray as we've been going in our nation and really around the world through this epidemic, I'd like to make some comments about it and maybe open up some new areas for you to think about and pray about. Because I just believe that this whole epidemic has the fingerprints of God all over it. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that and in just a few minutes. But I want to go back to uh, a time shortly after I became a Christian and had been serving in a church in in uh, Evanston before I became a Christian. And then I'd been uh, given the opportunity to serve at a church in Thompson, Illinois, three little churches and a marvelous experience there. And it was around that time that I'd really come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Redeemer. And I began to realize where the church was. When I say where the church was, where my Methodist church was at that time, theologically, and what they believed or disbelieved, or what was important or what wasn't important. And I began to realize that both my wife and I were raised in a culture and a time in church history, where I, I, I'm, I've always sought for words to try to explain it, but everything was about uh, the poor, the disenfranchised, a lot of politics in it. But I very, I can never recall, nor could my wife, ever hear about the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ dying for our sins his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was just, uh, as I've mentioned in other podcasts, we had a friend come and visit us at this church that we were serving in Thompson. And um, he was a born-again believer and a fellow pastor. And he heard our testimony and said, gee, it sounds like you guys have been born again. And as I've mentioned in in the past, Barbara came out of the kitchen and said, what a way to say it. That's exactly what's happened. We'd never heard the term. I grew up thinking that the church existed to be good influence in society and take care of the poor and the disenfranchised, etc. But be born again, read the scriptures, pray, seek the will of God. None of that was at all a part of my Christian life. And then I began to realize that part of the problem was in 
the history of the church itself. I just want to do a, a little rehearsal of church history. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the 1800s, the, the church, uh, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the history of the church and the denominationalisms that ar arose all over. And in that uh, century, there was the introduction of what was called the social gospel. And the social gospel meant that food, shelter, and clothing were the most important things in human life, and that uh, that was the church's primary service, was to meet those needs in people's lives. I want to read you a couple of, of quotes of theologians when I was attending uh, uh, classes at Garrett Seminary in Evanston, uh, of uh, Frederick Schleiermacher from 1806, this is how far back it goes, was talking about Christmas and about a baby being born to a virgin, which he said wasn't very important. It was just a nice mood of joy and that we ought to be uh, kind of excited about it and imagine it. But whether he was born of a virgin or not was really totally irrelevant. Well, it's really difficult when you read the scriptures. It's very important that he was born of the Virgin Mary. For it goes all the way back, you remember, to the third chapter of Genesis, when it says that the seed of the woman will one day stomp the head of, of Satan himself. And there's a story all the way through scripture of the enemy hunting for where that seed is. And finally it is planted in the womb of young Mary. Then there's another quote. And this was the sort of the foremost theologian at the seminary that I was a part of at that time. And it was by Rudolf Bultmann. And here's his quote. It is impossible to use electric lights and the uh, wireless, as they call it, a telephone, and at the same time believe in the New Testament world of spirits and miracles. It's an amazing thing. That was the key philosophy. Boltman said, you talk to you, we have to find this, this kernel, which he called it, this kernel of truth, but we can't believe in miracles and signs and wonders. And it reminded me in uh, the book that I wrote, and we published it back in, I think, 2014, somewhere around there, I was recounting when I'd been born again and had gone back to see my district superintendent with a kind of a carefree heart saying, boy, he's going to be so excited about this. And I remember babbling on for about 45 minutes. And then he looked at me after a long pause and said, he'd heard of this type of thing happening, but I should be very careful not to be drawn into something that was peripheral, if not cultic. I later painfully learned that many, if not most, theological colleges, seminaries, whether evangelical or liberal, agreed at least at this one point of theology. The experience I had was done away with when the church received the scriptures. This theology is called cessationism. Cessationism. The principle is that with the death of the apostles, miracles ceased, the gifts of the Holy Spirit went away. They were just given to start the church. 
And now after the church was started, man was to take over and do good and be good and nice. Then after much in the 4th century, church leaders agreed in the 66 books. And since then, the Bible was to be the infallible guide to all things pertaining to life. The tragedy of all of this is that this kind of theology does not really produce a relationship with Jesus, doesn't even call upon the need for you to be born again. When I applied to become a pastor in the Methodist Church, I was never even asked if I'd been uh, uh, became a Christian. They asked me why I wanted to be a minister, and they gave me a bunch of psychological tests that they said they thought that maybe working with people would be all right. But nothing about the Scripture, nothing about Jesus, nothing about God. I say all of that to say this, Now, you may not see why I've taken all of these few minutes to speak, because I want to talk about this epidemic that we're going through. I believe that this epidemic that we're going through at this time has got a history, and that history is both national, in terms of countries and nations, but it's also church. Church. I believe that God, by His Spirit, is giving, has given us an opportunity to repent. And I want to take some time just going through several, I'll just mention them briefly. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden that God has to judge the choice that Adam and Eve makes? And he pronounces a curse upon Satan and then man and, man and woman. Remember, they have to cover themselves and all of those sorts of things. God judges. We read further, for instance, in in the uh, book of Genesis, Noah looks at the wickedness of men, and God causes a flood to come over the whole world. And then when the Egyptians are cruel to the Hebrews, we read about the plagues. And then in the book of Numbers, you remember when God has to punish them or judge them, and a bunch of snakes come into the uh, camp and bite people, and they die from it. And God tells uh, Moses, he said, Now, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a, a serpent and lift up that serpent on a pole, and anybody that is bitten... Uh, all they have to do is look at that pole and they will be uh, healed. And he did so, and Jesus would later refer to that very thing. I want to, just one other place that I want to talk a bit about this is in Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter. I want to read these verses. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place, this place being the dedication of the temple under Solomon. And I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, they will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal 
their land. Now the important thing about this is, and why I read about these things in the Old Testament, God sends judgments. And in this past few months with this epidemic that we're going through, I've really been before the Lord asking, Lord, I don't understand this. There's, I just feel confused. I hear some people say, this is the devil and he's condemning. And yet when I would try to pray that way and rebuke and stand against the enemy, it's like the Lord is saying, son, it's far greater than that. It's far greater. The church of Jesus Christ has got to repent because the church has become just almost disembodied in terms of what the real gospel is. For instance, in the present day, I cannot tell you some of the things that go on in the name of Christ. I think of the whole abortion issue, which is absolutely murder. And yet when I hear theologians talk about it, it's all about a woman's choice. As though a woman's choice is to somehow precede one of the commandments of God, which is what? Thou shalt not kill. Abortion is murder. Murder. I can also talk about the uh, things that, the breakdown of the family, school prayer. I can remember in school when I was in grammar school and junior high and senior, we opened school with prayer. And today to do so is somehow an abomination. Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you remember when uh, uh, President Eisenhower in the Pledge of Allegiance, I mentioned in a past podcast, it says, you know, uh, uh, under God, that phrase to be put back in the pledge, it was fought by the Senate, by a man who led the Senate and later became president. At the same time, I went through right now in some of the Episcopal churches, they have Episcopal bishops who are homosexuals married to homosexuals and lesbians married to lesbians. And they say, that's all right, that God didn't really mean what he said in the verses that we've talked about in Romans. Uh, I can remember in grammar school, uh, a, a young kid coming to our fellowship with his mother and father saying, uh, Pastor, uh, we were in school and the teacher was teaching my five, uh, fifth grade son that if he didn't like being a boy, he could choose an, uh, a new gender and become a girl, and that that was absolutely possible. So not only the school and the church supported all these things, but it's amazing the kind of things that we've come to. I think, try to make a, a long story short, or am I making a short story long, that God's judgment is behind this epidemic. And it is not primarily against our country. It is secondarily there. I believe it's primarily against the church, that God is calling the church to repent. In the epistle of Peter, in the New Testament of the Gospel, in the fourth chapter, is this marvelous word of God. First Peter chapter 4. For the time of judgment to begin, it begins with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be? For those who do not obey the gospel. 
In other words, I believe that this epidemic is primarily for the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to be, you know, super religious about it. I just feel that after much prayer and talking with many brothers and sisters, that the Church must repent. The Church must repent for embracing a social gospel or a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. They have embraced a gospel devoid of Calvary, devoid of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, devoid of being born again, being crucified with Christ, all of the things, the the support of the scripture, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I believe this epidemic is primarily for the church. So my cry today is church, repent. And the repentance is simply to say, Father, we have strayed from the Lord Jesus Christ and glorifying him. I can recall being told by people after I was born again that, uh-oh, they had to watch out for me. I was going to be so heavenly-minded, I wouldn't be any earthly good. And that that was the matter with you evangelicals and charismatics and all of that. And they were very serious when they told me that. And I can remember learning later or feeling that I was taught later, I can't be of any earthly good if I'm not first kingdom-minded, heavenly-minded, and born again. Well, I'm going to close for right now, but again, I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to help us as a church repent. And when the church repents, then we can turn to the nation and ask it to repent. Amen. This podcast is available for free download in iTunes and at moanministriesbookstore.com. Sarah Rahm's album, Days of Rain, is available on iTunes and most streaming platforms.